Welcome to Dogma Apologetics. I'm your host, Tim Carter, and in today's episode, we're going to be addressing a topic that is all too often overlooked in our culture. Uh, many times, people equate Christianity, especially specifically in America, uh, with uh, feeling positive about yourself, with with uh, you know finding happiness and joy and contentment. And, and while we have happiness, joy, and contentment in our life, there are some times in life where we just go through uh, periods of, of sorrow and periods of pain and uh, lamenting. And, and that's a word that we're going to talk about today with our guest, Dr. Douglas Grotice, as we begin to look at his book that he just wrote on lamenting. It's entitled walking through twilight a philosopher's lament and, and we're going to discuss that book with him and, and, and try to bring out some important things that as believers we need to keep in mind that when troubled times come when things don't always seem to make sense to us when there seems to be no hope that we still have hope and it's okay to lament it's okay to feel sorrow and and to deal with the emotions that we have in those times and through that, remember that God is, is right there with us and that in Christ we have forgiveness and that even if things don't make sense to us, uh, there is still hope. So without any more being said, we're going to dive right into the interview and, and let Dr. Grotice begin to unpack for us what he has written in this book and, and some of the personal struggles he's dealt with that's brought him to this point of writing it. All right, we are back with Dr. Grotice. Uh, we are going to be discussing his latest book, Walking Through Twilight, A Wife's Illness, A Philosopher's Lament. Um, Dr. Grotice, uh, you know, when we look at our culture today, there's, there's a lot of uh, literature out there that, that talks about positive thinking and, and, and just striving for happiness. And, and your book uh, kind of begins to address some things that is typically left out in our culture and uh, specifically uh, in your subtitle a philosopher's lament um, you know a lot of people might not know what that word means uh, could you maybe explain that to us I'd be happy to lament means a kind of articulated suffering where you say uh, something like woe is me what is happening to me? I don't understand it. This is agonizing. It's a kind of voiced suffering. And we find this in human experience. The reason we do is that Scripture tells us that there's something wrong with the world. The world has fallen. We see that in Genesis 3, and it's laid out by Paul, the effects of it morally, in uh, Romans 3, and also the effect on the whole creation in parts of Romans 8. So the ultimate lament really is Christ on the cross saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he's quoting a psalm of lament, with Psalm 22, a psalm of David. So Christ is actually praying on the cross. Some people think that he doubted his mission or somehow he lost faith, but he didn't. He was suffering before his heavenly father. So there are many instances of lament in the Bible. In fact, we have a book called Lamentations, and probably about 60 of the psalms are psalms of lament in one form or another. This is a tool, if you will, or this is a way of being for the Christian who is struggling and even agonizing, as I have over my wife's 
dementia. And the book, I suppose, as a whole, is trying to help people lament, to learn how to lament. In fact, I have a chapter of that title. And in that one, I'm looking at Psalm 90, which is the psalm of the only psalm of Moses, the man of God. And he's very honest and very open before God about the difficulties, the suffering of life. But he realizes that it all happens in the context of God's providence, and we can call out to God. And you see the last several verses of that psalm where Moses is pleading with God to give him a meaningful life where he passes down God's wisdom to further generations. So without this category, without this way of praying and being, uh, I would be in a lot more trouble than I now am. So I'm trying to help people understand what this is. It's not a loss of faith. It's not turning on God or turning your back on God. It's rather uh, a way of prayer and a way of life that God's given to us. So you've obviously, uh, you know, uh, gone through some personal things with, with you and your wife that kind of have uh, brought you to to writing this book. Um, could you maybe explain uh, with with our listeners kind of the driving force of why you wrote this book and, and maybe share some of that backstory and, and kind of what got you to this place? Yes. Well, my wife's name is Rebecca Merrill Gortheis. She was an author, editor, speaker. And just about four years ago, we received a diagnosis that she had a condition called primary progressive aphasia, which is an uncommon and very cruel form of dementia. It's not the same as Alzheimer's, but it, like Alzheimer's, really destroys the brain, to put it in a vivid way. So as we've tried to cope with this, I began to write about it because I write about just about everything I care about, and I try to put into words what I'm experiencing in my mind, and then often I put that on uh, paper. So I was asked to write about this by one of the editors of Christianity Today, Mark Galley, and at first I said, no, I don't think so. And then uh, directly after that, I went up to my office and started writing an article first, that was published in Christianity Today, and I received such a strong response, a heartfelt response from so many people, that I considered writing a book on it, and I eventually did. So the book is a memoir. It's very focused on Becky and my experience, and how we have lived through this as followers of Christ. The book is filled with scripture. I'm a philosopher. There's a lot of philosophizing about the nature of Becky's disease and how it affects relationships and how we try to bring this all to God through lament. So it's been an extremely hard road, and a lot of people have said the book is quite honest and even raw in my responses to the Lord about all this. But I'm finding so far, the book's been out for two months, that it's giving voice to a lot of people's struggles and suffering. And benefiting them in that respect. And that's heartening to me because that's why I wrote it. I didn't write it so that a lot of people would understand my inward life and I could express 
my feelings about everything. I wanted it to have a clear purpose to edify people. So as you've kind of gone through this, uh, you know, I can imagine the emotion um, that there is uh, on the personal side, you know, dealing with um, dealing with illness and a, a loved one. Um, at times, have you found yourself, um, you know, disgruntled or upset with, you know, with God because of this? Um, or at times maybe even hated hated God, um, you know. There, there's a whole realm of emotions out there. Uh, could you maybe share um, some of that with us and and how you've right. coped with that? That's part of the rawness of the book, and I think I'm in good company because we have so many psalms of lament, and I think here of. Psalm 88 of Heman the Ezraite, who was chronically ill, and he's praying. He begins the psalm by addressing God, but he lays it out very viscerally to God how unhappy he is. And the last verse of that psalm is, darkness is my closest friend, or some translate it, my close, all my friends are in darkness. Now that's very sad but he's still praying. So I've experienced intense sadness and very intense anger. And it's been directed at God. It's been directed at other places too. But what I say in the book, and I have a chapter called the temptation to hate God is that it's better to voice your protests and your even disgust before God, than turn your back on God and to try to avoid him, because you can't avoid someone who's omnipresent. That's ridiculous anyway. And there's forgiveness. Uh, so some anger is appropriate. We see that in the Psalms. It's, it's not wrong. It's a fallen world, and we are puzzled by things. Uh, obviously, Jesus called us to love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love our neighbor as ourself. And... Love is at the core of the Christian life. We ought to love God and love our neighbor. So the hatred towards God that I've experienced is not good. But as a Christian, we can accommodate this. That is, we can know that God is long-suffering, he's patient, he's forgiving. And we can bring all of our emotions to God, even if we have to repent of some of them later. So... In a way, I'm trying to show people that we can be fully human, even in terms of part of our sin, and uh, know that God understands. He knows we're dust, and he also has provided forgiveness through the work of Christ. So I deal with this very honestly and very openly in this chapter, and I'm really hoping that it will help people who have experienced this and who think that they are unforgivable or that they can't really serve God. I didn't put it in the book. I should have, but many years ago I was speaking to a friend of our families and he confided in me that one day he had just cursed God. He was horribly angry to God. And he said, can I be forgiven? And I said, of course you can be forgiven. 
Christ died for all of our sins, not just some of them. And I talked with him a little bit. And after that, he said, this is the happiest day of my life. So we should be happy. We should be joyful that God is a forgiving God. He's not a God who uh, simply puts up with everything and uh, says, well, you know, these, these humans, I can't expect much of them. He's not like that, but he loves us, and he's forgiven us and restored us through Christ. And I take heart in that. Yeah, that's, that's really good. You know, a lot of times, like you said, we kind of have it in our mind that we have to act a certain way uh, for God to be pleased with us. But that forgiveness that's found in Christ, you know, even even when we're upset with God, uh, God is God is still there. Uh, last time we spoke, um, you mentioned that you're a dog person, and uh, mm-hmm. uh, I think you said a dog aficionado. And uh, you know how is how is maybe your love for dogs and and, and your dog Sonny? Uh, how has he helped maybe through this? Um, and what are, what are some ways that God has maybe blessed you with with a pet that maybe helps with with some of these things? Mm-hmm. Well, the timing of getting our dog was providential. A friend of ours said, you need a dog. And we said, we really, given Becky's illness, even before she was diagnosed, we really can't raise a puppy. That'd be a little too much. And the friend said, I'll raise him until he's housebroken and give him back to you. And that was about six and a half years ago, I guess now, about six. And we found this little furball, Sonny, who's a golden doodle, to be delightful, to be fun-loving, and very emotionally intelligent. He's aware of Becky's moods, and he looks out for her. For example, she may come down and to my basement where I study, and she's confused, and she's sad. And Sonny comes down before she does. And I can tell by looking at him, he wags his tail, but he gives a low wag, which is usually anxiety. So I know she's coming, and I'm prepared better to minister to her. Or if she's sitting in a chair and she's upset, she may not even be crying. Sonny will come up and nuzzle her and lick her and put as much of himself on as much of her as he can. And we've seen... uh, the love of God through our dog. And in some ways, this may sound strange, but dogs can help show certain aspects of God, particularly unconditional love. Uh, Because Sonny uh, is quick to forgive. He's he's really uh, intent on showing his love for us. Obviously, he's not made in the image and likeness of God, as human beings are, but he is one of God's creatures. And we know from the nature psalms that God is uh, working in and through the natural world also and through other conscious beings. And uh, over thousands of years, human beings have domesticated dogs for various purposes, like hunting and herding and things like this. Uh, But now there are dogs that are really bred for comfort and companionship. So we've really benefited from Sonny. And 
Uh, Becky and I did not have children, so we don't have a family really to support us, and our parents are with the Lord now. So God provided this uh, fun furball for us, and uh, he gets along with everybody, and he's funny, loves to play, so we're grateful to God. I have a chapter in the book called Dogs, Dementia, and Us, where I reflect a little bit on dogs and dogs' place in God's world. Um, So I'm a philosopher. I philosophize about everything, even my pet, and I'm hoping that this will be helpful to people. So as as you've gone through this, um, and you know you've kind of talked about lamenting and and that being an avenue for us to um, voice our struggles with God um, in, in prayer, how can others lament uh, with with those who are suffering? You know, somebody maybe from the outside looking in. You know, how do we how do we help each other through this? Right. I have a chapter called Lightening the Load. It's difficult to suffer well with others, but it's something we're called to do. That's what it means to be compassionate, to feel with others in their pain and their distress. And obviously rejoice with others. Scripture says rejoice with those who rejoice and and be sorrowful with those who are sorrowful. Laugh at those who laugh, weep at those who weep. So how do you weep with those who weep in a full-orbed kind of way? Well, first of all, especially with severe and horrendous suffering, like a friend of mine who lost her mother to murder a year ago, you don't try to put a Band-Aid on it. You recognize how deep and bloody and horrible the wound is, and you simply commiserate, and you give condolence often personal presence, practicing the presence of this person is the best thing to do. They know someone is with them. As Christians, we believe that in all things, God works together for the good, for those who love him. A famous verse, Romans eight twenty-eight. But that's not the best verse to give someone who's suffering this really profoundly. It's better to be with them in their sense of loss and their suffering and to not pretend it's not so bad. I refer to a book, an excellent book, by a philosopher named Nicholas Wolterstorff who lost his son to a climbing accident over 30 years ago now. He wrote a book called Lament for a Son. And he says, whatever you do, don't tell me it's not so bad. So we shouldn't try to lighten. Uh, we should help lighten people's loads, but not by telling them it's really not such a big issue and you'll get over it or cheer up. There's a time to say cheer up, but uh, it's not right away when someone is suffering a profound loss. One thing that's very important is to pray for the person. If you're going to visit them, pray before, during, and after that you'll be kind, loving, patient with that person. And then also tangibly, people who are uh, in agony over a loss, and it may be ongoing, protracted agony, need help. For example, in my case, 
I am not good with paperwork and business kind of issues. Rebecca used to do all those things and did them marvelously. But even before she was diagnosed with this disease, she gave me all the paperwork because she could no longer calculate. She could no longer perform this task. So I had to do it, and I'm not good at it, and it's a big weight. But I've had people now help me do this. And if you do something tangible, it it just lightens the load of the person so they can attend to other things. And if you say you're going to do it, then please do it. I've had several people make very large promises to me about visiting Becky, about doing various things to help us, and they haven't. And in some cases, they haven't even given a reason why. So I need to be forgiving and not be bitter about it, but it hurts. So it's as Ecclesiastes says, it's better to not vow than vow and not pay. Now that's related to service to God in terms of giving to God, I believe. But the same thing holds with people. We should be people of our word. And to use an Old Testament phrase, we should swear to our own hurt. If we say that we're going to provide some kind of help, then we should do it. Or if something comes up, or if we've been rash in wanting to be a hero of helping, then we should say, I'm sorry, I promised more than I could deliver. So part of being a Christian is suffering well with other people. That's something we don't want to learn. Who wants to learn that? I tell people often, God's made me an expert in suffering, and I wish he had chosen someone else. But that is the calling on my life at this point. And maybe later on I'll be more of an expert in in joy. But right now I'm not. So on the on the topic of suffering, you you make a comment that you try to smelt meaning out of suffering. Uh, what do you mean by that? What I mean is that in the worst situation, you still have some control over how you respond to it on the inside. And I derive a lot of significance from Viktor Frankl's story in his book, Man's Search for Meaning. He was a prisoner in World War II in a, a Nazi concentration camp, Jewish man, and he said, the final freedom is how you respond to any situation, no matter how impossible it seems. When I'm in a situation that I can't change, I can't reverse Becky's dementia, I've asked God to heal her, and he hasn't. I ask, how can I love her? How can I serve her? Or to be specific, when Becky was in a psychiatric ward for five weeks, about four years ago, before I would go, I would ask God to help me to smelt some meaning out of it or find some meaning in the situation. And what that came down to is love. Of course, first, I want to love and do everything I can to help my wife. But then also to be a loving person with other folks that are there. No one wants to be in a psychiatric ward. Um, a lot of those people have threatened suicide. And my wife did not do that, but she had some of those thoughts. So, um, And in light of other things, too, obviously, her depression, essentially, is why she went in the first time. 
um, no one wants to be there. It's a kind of imprisonment in some ways. So I tried to find some meaning or smelt some meaning in terms of uh, being present, listening to people, getting to know people's names, trying to offer an encouraging word or just commiserate with them. So no matter how bad the situation, you can find something to be thankful for and be an agent for good, even though you can't significantly alter the situation. You can, in a way, alter it simply by your own appearance, by your own being there. And that's different than trying to fix it. In severe situations, there is no fix. In this world, there is no will to come. But nevertheless, love always has a healing effect if it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. And that's what I mean. My whole book is an attempt to smell meaning out of suffering. Being a writer, being a philosopher, I reflect on things and I put them into words and I try to convey my experience through the categories of scripture, especially through lament in this stage of my life. So there is meaning. We don't understand a lot of it. And that's one of the basic messages of Ecclesiastes, that life can be puzzling, perplexing. But nevertheless, God will bring all things into account. And God has given us meaningful activities, even joyful activities. One of the chapters in the book talks about ways that I find meaning in the midst of suffering through not so much uh, suffering with others, but simply good things in life that we can enjoy and celebrate. I'm a, a dog lover, as I said earlier, and also I enjoy studying 20th century painting, going to museums. I am a, a jazz aficionado, some might say fanatic. I enjoy listening to music, reading about it, writing about it, going to uh, our best local jazz club here in Denver, Dazzle Jazz. Uh, usually with my friends, I can teach them about Jazz, uh, a couple months ago, I was able to introduce my favorite jazz musician at this local club. So there is meaning, but it's not found by denying it's so terrible. There are things like seeing your wife suffer and eventually she will die from this rare disease. I can't say it's not so bad, but I can find a lot of things that are good. And ultimately, the good of knowing that we are forgiven and we are reinstated in God's favor through Jesus Christ. And my wife and I have been followers of Christ for a very long time. I was an adult convert. Rebecca was raised a Christian. So we have to bring everything back to Christ and we, we endeavor to do that. So when somebody picks this book up, uh, and reads it, what's what's the one thing that you want them to, to walk away with? Hope. There is hope for restoration. There's hope in the meaning of this kind of crushing sorrow. And when we cry out to God in a lament, the biblical laments have some element of hope. Even Psalm 88 of Heman Ezraite, he's praying the whole time. He ends very negatively. He says, darkness is my closest friend. 
but he's telling that to God, uh, and God is light, and in him there's no darkness whatsoever. We know that, especially from the New Testament, but also the Old Testament. There is hope, and it's not mere human feeling. I want to feel hopeful. I want to feel positive. It's hope concerning the restoration of the universe and the redemption of individuals that has been purchased through the Messiah, through Jesus Christ, the righteous one, the crucified one, the resurrected and ascended one who one day will come back and make all things new. Well, Dr. Grotice, thank you uh, for coming on and, and sharing that with us. You know, I want to encourage uh, my listeners to check this book out and, and read it and also to, to be in prayer for you and your wife. I know that, um, as you said, you know, it, it's, it's a struggle. Um, and uh, mm-hmm. and I uh, just want to encourage our listeners to, to be in prayer uh, for you on that. So thank you, thank you once again uh, for coming on the show. This has been Dogma Apologetics. Thanks for listening to this episode. I hope it encouraged you. I hope it gave you uh, some insight, maybe on some things that you might be dealing with. I'd also encourage you to check out Dr. Grotice's book, Walking Through Twilight, A Philosopher's Lament. You can find that on Amazon. Uh, In our next episode, we're going to be speaking with Vocab Malone about the black Hebrew Israelite movement. I would encourage you to check that episode out when it comes. It's going to be really interesting and a lot of good stuff that we're going to discuss there. So thanks for listening. Until next time, this has been Dogma Apologetics. <laughs>